Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode is Oh, it's a lovely episode today. Uh, I got to sit down with uh, John Marsh of The Beloved. Um, I've been a, a, a big fan of The Beloved for a long time. And uh, through my friend, who I'm going to have to thank on this, um, Lee Antonio, um, he mentioned that he'd been chatting to, to John um, online and had mentioned the podcast. And, uh, and through that, uh, an email was, was set up and, uh, and yeah, Fast forward a couple of weeks and I got to sit down and speak to somebody whose musical um, output has been um, never far from my stereo. And, uh, and it's always a bonus when you meet these people and they're uh, an absolute delight, uh, which John was. Um, before we get on with the podcast, um, I would just like to thank 76 for producing this podcast. Um, also, um, big shout out to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. And, uh, and thanks one again, uh, once again to... Uh, Lee Antonio for um, helping me put this together, and uh, and if you enjoy this, uh, and it's potentially that that you know, and it happens to be the first time you've listened to Off the Beaten Track, then uh, why not have a little look in the archives because there's there's about 150 episodes um, available with some of your your favourite musicians, producers, DJs, comedians, actors. Um, I won't list them. Go and have a rummage because I'm sure you'll find something that you will enjoy. If that's not enough, I do also have a Patreon page where each week um, I'll put up a standalone episode as well. Um, and you can find out about all of this at um, com. Well, let's get on with things. Please enjoy Off The Beaten Track Podcast with John Marsh of The Beloved. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. 
I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast and sitting opposite me today uh, via the means of Zoom uh, in lockdown uh, is John Marsh of The Beloved. Hello. Hello there. Yes, my, I'm, you've taken my Zoom virginity today. I'm, I'm the last person in the entire known universe to uh, to download and start using Zoom. Wonderful. Well, it's it's been something that's, that that I've had to do, um, obviously due to the sort of situation that we we find ourselves in. Every sort of podcast has had to, you know, sort of, and and I guess every musician um, and every stand-up comedian and actor's all got to kind of find new ways to work around yeah. the situation we're in. So. I'd like to start, before we get on to your track list, uh, John, we've just asking how you found lockdown as both um, a husband, father and, and human being and a, as a creative. Um, right. Well, as a, as a husband, father, we, um, I'd had, um, for, for reasons I won't go into last year, I'd had quite a lot of health issues. And when, when the right was on the wall, we decided to to get out of London before the lockdown even came along. So we came down to Cornwall. We have a really small place down here, um, which isn't really habitable in the winter because it's got no heating or anything like that, but we've been saved by the weather, actually. So I'm here with, with my wife, three teenage children and a dog, and um, we've I, I'm not going to lie about it. We've had, as a family, it's been an extraordinary period of, of togetherness and growth and discovery, really, because you know we've been able to have a lot of conversations about a lot of deep things important things you know a lot of laughs as well along the way because you know you have to um but you know my kids are 14 16 19 there's no conversation off limits in our house yeah so as a as a form of spiritual philosophical political economic education it's been <laughs> probably better yeah. than school you know because everything is there geography geopolitics you know sociology psychology everything yeah is is in this mix and um so having treated it as a as a as something you know my i suppose you know i'm not I'm not an authoritarian father, but it's important for me, obviously, in a situation like this, having never had it before, to to put the interests of my my immediate family first. That's that's kind of almost like instinct. That was my gut instinct. It's like protect them, make sure we're okay. Um, you know, reach out to extended family and friends as well as much as possible, and that, that's what you do. You have to. It's how I feel. I've brought my kids up. Is that 
to, you know, if you want to change the world, you start by bringing your children up to be nice people. That's how you, 100%. how you set about doing it, really. And you can't go, you can't do anything else if you haven't managed to do that. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's been, it's you know, we're still in it. I mean, that's the thing. It's mm. you know, you and I were talking at the start of June now, and it's like, well, nothing's answered, and and the world is actually <laughs> turning, turning even more volatile and and unimaginably you know difficult on a daily basis at the moment it feels like that it really does feel like that and and i hope when people listen to this podcast in you know in 2021 they'll look back and just think wow that you know just and and hopefully they will be looking back on something that's you know the 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 covid side of things has been forgotten and it's just a you know a a weird time in history that you know we'll look back on and just think wow that was crazy i hope you know that there will be some kind of new, new normal by well, then. Yes, and People, I mean a lot. Of, I think anyone with a humanitarian heart would like to see elements of the slate wiped clean and we start again. I don't, you know, the cynic in me says that isn't necessarily going to happen. But you're seeing at the moment, this very, very moment, the sheer momentum of the will of vast amounts of people has the capacity, hopefully, to make yeah. changes and lasting changes because people have had enough. You know, yeah. It's bizarre. It's bizarre that the thing that's not on the agenda at the moment, anywhere, although, will still people have to remember that the climate crisis is still the one that's actually bigger than all of it. It's bigger than everything. It's bigger than than any other issue because it will take us all if Mm. we don't address that. And and I sort of initially saw the pandemic as part of that, really. You know, as something that 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 affects everyone, and you'd like to think that the world could have pulled together at that point and done something, but of course, the world at the moment doesn't seem to have that capacity. It was very strange. The first, the first sort of few weeks of us being sort of told that we weren't, you know, we was only allowed to leave our homes for for exercise. Um, I'd go for my, my daily run and where I live it's you know there's a couple of like sort of parks that that I like to run around with my dog in the mornings, um, and it. It it did feel really really amazing in in regards to there was no airplanes in the sky there was yeah. no traffic on the on the roads there was just clear blue skies and it was like it almost felt that the planet was starting to sort of kick back yeah. kick back yeah, yeah. It, it, it did feel like that very very strange um, so how have you found it as a as a creative John. Um, not as creative as I would have liked it to have been. I thought, I thought initially... That, <laughs> Everybody I mean, says this. It's you know, so weird. You know, my kids brought computers to do their... The two of them still at school, so, um, you know, doing their remote learning. My daughter's been through a process of auditioning for, for drama school, which she got into all down... All by Skype auditions and things like that, so she's done that. My wife's at virtual college, and I've ended up being... Um, willingly as well. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this to be to be humorous at all but I mean I, I've run the house I've done the sh- I was the one who was designated to go out and do lockdown do the shopping do the, the whatever and, and basically run it as a you know it, it, for want of a stupid expression a 1950s housewife thing I saw other people say that they've had to reduce their lives to that and yeah. that I've, that was me for a few weeks and I've, I actually really loved it I became very maternal and very sort of um you know, I do all the, the cooking and shopping generally anyway, so it's not an issue, but sort of the washing, the cleaning, the, 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 you know, and getting lots of exercise, so yeah, it's all good. But, Christ, I, I swear to God, it's only about the last three or four weeks that I've begun to to be able to sort of liberate the creative side again. I think mm. there's a kind of internal 
I don't know, angst maybe. I mean, I haven't been in a state of like panic and fear and whatever about the global situation, but I think creativity requires a headspace as well. And if your head is just always just like, you know, literally, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I can't even imagine what... I, I've just been thinking, where has this time gone? This time has just... It's been extraordinary. And as I said, we've bonded amazingly as a family. But I've been sitting here thinking, I've been down here now for 13 weeks. That's a long time. That's yeah. a long time, you know. And, and I, I've creatively just begun to, to feel... You know, I can start doing things, which is weird because that's exactly the precise point in time that everyone else is being allowed to yeah. start going back to work. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I've got lots of ideas, but finding blocks of time to actually do stuff with it—that's the—that's yeah. the issue. Because you can't. I mean, what I do when I'm working, I need—I need six, eight-hour blocks to be able to do something. Because mm. if, if it's good, you want to keep going. You can't. Just, yeah. But uh, you know. Someone has to take the dog for a walk. So. Of course. <laughs> okay, John. For track yeah. one, I'm going to ask you what you think is the song with the greatest ever intro. Does it have to be a song? Um, oh, that's an interesting uh, response. I don't know. Well, what are you thinking? I was going to say the theme from The Persuaders. Oh, wonderful. Yes, of course you can have that. Because the intro for that is just... it. I, it's still goosebumps. I mean, I remember hearing it as a kid because this program was on. I don't know how old. How old are you? you know, I'm 47. Oh right, so you're much younger than me. So the um, it, the persuaders. Do you know the program? Mm. Yeah, because it used to be on on a Sunday afternoon um, when when um, the big match, which was the football highlights program, was on. And they used to get these two programs back to back on a Sunday, and so it's Roger Moore, Tony Curtis gallivanting around the the Côte d'Azur um, with the John Barry theme tune and just this that piece of music is just it's got this incredible chords played on a um like a harpsichord or something like that at the start of it a, a spinet or something i don't know what it is but and just just mind-blowing chord sequence that um yeah just instant drama excitement well part of it may be to do with my childhood sort of memory of oh you know this is my favorite telly program my favorite day of the week you know you get the football you get this whatever but actually um it's one of those pieces actually when you, you realise you ask around loads of people love that loads yeah. of people love it it's possibly even even more exciting than the James Bond music um, mm. you know John Barry um, I mean yeah for, for, okay for, just if people don't know John Barry at all which I'm, you know maybe they do or they don't but for instance um, a band like Goldfrapp, hugely, hugely influenced by his music. Mm. Their first album is almost like an homage to to John Barry's music, you know, and um, Ennio Morricone, those kind of film soundtracks. And, and yeah, there's just ping, this sound, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. But it's not a song. It's That's all right. It's the theme from The Persuaders. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you, John, because I, I always ask... Um, um, musicians that, that that come on this podcast, um, how how much value and emphasis do they put on the intro when creating music, and has that changed over the years due to the way that people listen to music now is maybe slightly different to how they did when uh, the Beloved first started making music. Um, well, it's going to change in, inevitably going to change depending on how on what the structure of your band is or. or you know, what project, whatever it is, you know, half, half the music we listen to now is, is, 
is sort of not even people being in the studio collectively at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's people come and do their bit. So, you know, in, in, when, when, we st- when we started starting before, when we were like plugging away as a kind of four piece indie band, the, um, everything was worked out in the rehearsal room. So everything is, a, you know, literally drummer goes one, two, three, four, and yeah. off you go kind of thing. Or occasionally you think, let's have something that's like textual. So it'll start with a, the bass and the guitar and then it'll build or whatever like that. And so you, you're kind of, um, you've got infinite permutations. And also when you've got people in a room all playing an instrument, you can literally start it, stop it instantly. Um, try it like this, try it like that. You know, if someone is, is effectively, for want of a better terms, you need to have someone in the room who's kind of got a kind of overview of a musical director who can, <coughs> excuse me, who can be the person who says, right, try that, try that, because otherwise if you you end up all arguing about it. But, if every um, band needs that, yeah, that shadow of a doubt. Yeah, you need some. Um, but obviously now, you probably, I would imagine... It's a really good question because it's probably diminishing art, I'd have thought. You know, if everything's programmed, if everything's too... uh, You either think it through too much or you have to literally construct it out of the building blocks of of bars and beats on a a screen um, that you just basically, you know, for want of a better way you do it, you would just loop that section and keep fiddling with it as it's going round and round and round and round. But that is much less organic. So I don't know. I mean, you can you obviously technology allows you to introduce any kind of sound now that you can possibly think of, and ones that you haven't thought of. But in terms of it being an intro that leads you up, I suppose, says the man who chose a non-vocal track just now. But to the point at which the singer starts singing, that's what an intro is, isn't it? It's the bit that takes you to the vocal starts. Yeah, and yeah. Well, I, I guess another thing that I'd, I'd throw into that question was was when when you started having commercial success, John. Yes. Um, did did radio become uh, part of the thought process when creating intros to your music? Was, no, only never. only in as much as that you would try not to make it too long, I guess. But that, mm. but that's not even thinking about radio. No, I think because no, I mean. Not that I can consciously remember, no. I do remember that with one track we actually got knocked back by radio because they said the the start of the song was too depressing and too too <laughs> difficult and slow. And that was actually kind of, too, you know, one of the last things we ever released. And it was like, okay, this is not great because it's like, okay, what, you literally can't get radio programs saying we can't play this because it's too sort of soft and gentle and atmospheric and you're like wow that's that's mad because it's mm. i'd never even thought about that conceptually that that could be something but I, sometimes you, you know sometimes things are just aren't meant to happen you yeah. know just because someone says <laughs> i don't think your your career is going to stand or fall by the fact that your intro is too long or too short or whatever you yeah know? i mean if the song's no good the song's no good so um but i don't know whether it consciously fed in um not really. I mean, you, uh, with, 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 the, with that being silly, you want you, you you kind of unconsciously want every bit of the track to fulfil its function. Of course, you know you want something that's impactful, or occasionally you want something that's a little bit um, unusual. Uh, I don't know. The only the only one that I can think of from my own stuff that that's slightly 
weird is Hello, which has got the sound of an orchestra tuning mm. up underneath it. But that was done because it was actually the, the first track on the album. It wasn't done as a way of... It wasn't meant to be um, about that for that particular song. It was. It was. Um, it was me. Almost again, a, a, a kind of deliberate reference back to Sergeant Pepper, which was the album that I yeah. first remember when I was a kid. That's how it starts. It's the same idea. Oh, here's mm. the orchestra tuning up, and it's like, well, um, and I do remember when that went to radio. People, people had, they didn't play that bit, obviously, because yeah. it's like, yeah, the, the radio. If you want to get your record played on radio, first of all, make the song have the word radio in the, in the name of the song. I love that shit. <laughs> it's just like ego massage. And then, and just something, something that they can waffle over, isn't it? It's like, oh, of God. I mean, that's the most irritating thing. No, it's actually marginally less irritating than when you've heard it, like, back in the day, when the DJ decides they think they have a right to sing over your record. <laughs> oh, like, my life. You can imagine no, the, no you know, the, Steve, the Steve Wrights of this world. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, bloody hell, man. It's just like, oh, Christ almighty, kill, my, kill me now. <laughs> John, track yeah. two. Yes. The first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. There's quite a few, actually. You can, you can have some honourable mentions, John. Well, the thing is, if I contextualise this, that I'm the youngest by nine years of with three elder siblings. So I'm born in 1965. Um, but I'm, my formative years, my first, so say between the ages of two and five, I'm in a house with teenagers, with pop, with Radio One having just started at this point in time. They're all buying records. They're all things. The radio, we had the radio on the whole time, and I was. Where, where was this, John? In my at home. Yeah, whereabouts was it? Was oh, where in Dulwich, South London? Dulwich. Sorry, okay. yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Where was it? In, in the kitchen. It was in the kitchen. <laughs> where, the where the radio was. <laughs> yeah, I can visualize. I can visualize it. I can actually visualize it. It's like, um, and. Um, certain records especially there's a lot of those late 60s records have real drama and real sense of of weird weirdness about it um so there's a they're actually records the ones i remember i mean there's 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 two sides of this there's the ones that i just remember being fantastically sort of happy and thrilling and whatever but but what i realized later on is that even then even though I was hearing these things, and actually as an adult or as a, as a teenager, I began to realise the the, um, the depths of it, that the tracks that I liked at the time were were the most simplified things. So a, a good example of this, this is both going to be about the Beatles, is like that's okay. So first of all, um, which came first? Sergeant Pepper comes first. So I remember when, I remember that coming into the house because... All the family, apart from my mum, my even my dad, who was quite an old man by this point, um, were so excited about the arrival of this record, you know. And I could see, I didn't, understand, you know, I was probably two and a half, and it's like, wow! But everyone was obsessed. There's this new Beatles record. There's this new thing coming in the house, and and we literally sat down and listened to it as a thing. It was a fucking incredible thing. If you think about this as a cultural event for a small child, it's like, oh, oh. and I couldn't really get it. And I loved. Um, you know, the sort of simplified songs, but I remember hearing She's Leaving Home on that album. And it left me feeling 
really sad and really rough because it's about someone leave you know it's, it's about the sorrow of the parents and the, and the daughter and she leaves and I didn't really understand anything about what it was about but I just remember it had this incredible sense of loss and it freaked me out and when for years and years and years if I ever listened to that album I'd skip that track I really? Physically go and lift up the, the needle and move it across that track because I couldn't go <laughs> with the emotional sense of it. Really extraordinary because, you know, it's just this, this something melancholic about it that really, really got to me. Um, and then the sort of flip side of that the sort was that um, when the White Album came out, which would be the next album, I think. I don't know the chronology of the albums. I think so. My favourite track on that, to my eternal shame, was Oh Bloody, Oh Blood Da, which is a bloody awful song. It's a terrible, yeah. you know, it's cod reggae, terrible, terrible, yep. terrible song. But for a little child, it's mm. the best song on the album because it's, you know, yeah. it's like a nursery rhyme. And now, you know, that's the one that I would, that's the one that I would never listen to as an adult. But again, I remember just thinking, this is great. This is really, really up and really happy. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, you know. And, and the way, the fact that I can remember so deeply the resonance of music on me at that age is kind of, it, it must have been so impactful. You know, I, I, as I grew older, I got exposed to incredibly diverse and powerful music by all of them at different points in my very early life. And although I didn't necessarily even like it, I, I, you know, I know for a fact that, for instance, I was, I, I heard the first Velvet Underground album when I was four years old because my brother was playing it, yeah. and I would have been, I mean, it would have been coming out of his room, and I'd have been like, oh, Jesus, you know, that is, this is, don't, couldn't bear it, but it's like, it's there. What must that sound like to a four-year-old? Yeah, Jesus, you know, yeah, you know, and then, and then, you know, he was playing his Grateful Dead records or his Frank Zappa records, which is awful music. I couldn't stand. It. I still don't really get it. But then later on, then when they all got into Bowie and stuff like that, you know, and Roxy Music and stuff like that. This, you know, I was personally into. We'll come on to this in a minute about the, the thing about the first record I bought. But you know, um, so I had a f- just an unbelievable exposure mm. to a spectacular range of music from such an early age. So the emotional impact of it was like almost like an avalanche, really. Yeah. Uh, and I still feel like that about music. I still get really excited. Even, you know, I'm 55 years old. I still get a thrill from hearing new things, different things. You know, it's it's always that, really. Are you, are you obsessive with, like, um, music? So, by that, I mean, um, if you hear a new record you like, do you play it over and over and over? Yes. And quite often there'll be, you know, or, or the genius bit now, of course, is that there's there's you know, 40, 50 years worth of back catalogue of everything to discover that you still, you know, it's like, how did I miss yeah. that? How did I not? Yeah. You know, it, that's mind-blowing as well. Stuff that that's from where, you know, someone played, say, played me a psychedelic. I, someone played me, um, no, I'm not a Hendrix fan at all. I'm not particularly into Hendrix, but I know the obvious songs. I didn't even realise Hey Joe was a cover until quite recently. And then someone, and it's actually, then there's this mad psychedelic garage band version of it from like 1966. That's a totally different record. And it's just like, wow, you know, it it changes the way you view everything that that it's like a permanently shifting jigsaw puzzle where everything just suddenly you see who listened to what, at what time and was influenced by, by this and this and this and, you know, just this morning I was reading in the in the paper about this guy in the reading obituary in the paper this guy Kenny Young who who I vaguely knew the name and it says he he wrote co wrote under the boardwalk and then and then 
later on it just says that he was actually the driving force behind the band Fox, who is a band that I loved, you know, and it's just like, okay, you know, this guy, he was doing that in the 60s and then he came, he came over here and lived in the Cotswolds. So it's like, okay, what's like bizarre and, and formed this band and, you know, everything, everything. I just, my entire life, especially through my childhood and teens and everything like that, is so mapped out by by music, by the, you know, that incredible memory of, of being able to put in a time and a place from a piece of music and have yeah. such recall for it as well, you know. Um, my wife, for instance, is, is, is much more about visual identity and photographic memory and things like that. And so she can, she's got, a, I can't remember anything about what anyone looked like or the time yeah. or the place or anything like that, but you put the song on, I'm there, yeah. you know. It's just, it's really interesting how that dominates my my everything about the way I am I think yeah, yeah. I'm very similar like yeah. that and it's, it's a wonderful thing to have it really is oh, it's superb it's superb you know but, I, but what's important for me is to not lose that that thrill of looking for it you know I've, what always baffles me is mates of mine who I mean you know they're good friends of mine who were obsessive about music and then they just suddenly just, just sort of yeah. stopped yeah it's strange like, isn't why? it it's like giving up on sex it's yeah. like no you know it's something that's going to give you amazing yeah. amount of thrill and pleasure and constant joy and just saying, oh, no, and yeah. you know, that was then. Like, yeah. yeah. No, 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 it's still going. You know? Yeah. It's, 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 People it's don't bizarre. do that with films. People don't no. do it with films. Strange, they isn't really it? They really don't. So why do they do it with music? I've got so many friends that I grew up with that I was in bands with and things like that. And now they're like, yeah, I don't really listen to much music anymore. And it's like, you don't listen to no. much music anymore. Even like, worse is, no, but even worse is then the follow-up, yeah, because it's not as good as it used to be. And that just does my head in because it's I like, mate, you're not, I'm not having that. You know? And it's it's been a real joy to speak to um, so many musicians and creatives on this podcast. And and so many of them are still so excited about new music. And, oh, yeah. and I think and if I, you're not a fan at heart, then you're actually faking it because yeah. I really do. I think I think you have to be a fan. Because that's yeah. probably why you wanted to do it in the first place. Most, Unless, you know, I'm not a trained musician. Lots of people I know aren't. You know, it's no problem with people who are. But I, it was like literally hearing, hearing records and getting the thrill that I got from hearing the records and thinking, I want to do that. Yeah. Not because I want to be famous or successful. It's just I want, I, the, this is the yeah. thing that's most exciting in my whole life. I want yeah. to know how to do this. And, yeah. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and... You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I, I guess those formative years we're going to touch on now anyway. So um, for track three, John, um, the song that reminds you of your, your time at school. Which school are we after? Any Because, I, I mean, primary, secondary, there's, I'm saying, well, uh, teenager, sometimes people, it's impossible, Sometimes people it? throw a couple in. And, right. uh, and generally the first one's never quite as cool as the second one. But um, no, but well then, it, okay. Well, let's go. Pri- I mean, primary primary school obviously then um, is for me right through the whole seventies. That's my primary school. So you know, you've got a hell of a choice there. But actually, um, is there, there's the question about the one you first record you bought. Is that coming up? No, after? that's coming a little later. Yeah, that's coming. There, next. Isn't that going to be the? Well, that's going to be very similar. To, so I guess so. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, it was because I was really into. I was out there spending pocket money when I was little. Um, but f- from school, um, ironically, well, not ironically, slightly dubious, ju- ju- but it's, it's just in terms of my, the, you know, we were all massively into Gary Glitter. Yeah. Time, you yeah. Know? I remember going to my mate Eddie's. Osman's birthday party he had fancy dress party in really about 74 maybe I went as Gary Glitter <laughs> yeah. not, you know my sister sewed sequins on my on yeah. my t-shirt so I could go you know and we, we used to play it was in the play we used to run around the playgrounds shouting yeah. and screaming leader of the gang and all those kind of, you know what can you say obviously the guys are complete you know is, is, is a disgusting individual but it's the way that I, I refuse to accept that records can be then have to be just pretend they never existed as a consequence yeah. of this you can't unhear it well, it's very interesting having it having um, Gary Glitter's music used recently in the, the oh, film in the Joker, Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and how powerful is that though I mean, I mean yeah. sonically visually when I saw that scene it, I was like fuck it yeah. sounds Amazing, Appar- looks amazing. And Apparently, though, they use that track in American sports. That's why it has a resonance in the States. Oh, really? It's not, it's not you know, it's only British audience that are sitting there going, oh, Christ. You know, ah, the, right. Because people, in, it's used in something like American football or something like that. Okay, I don't know. Well, that but, makes sense. Know, yeah, baseball. Because they know it in the States from, mm. from that. It has a cultural significance. Mm. That whereas for here the cultural significance is Jesus, that's dark, you know. That's it's it's an ongoing yeah. sort of. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Well, you know, Gary Glitter is a, is a terrible human being, um, but you know, I do like to ask guests because so many people have come on here 
and spoken about Michael Jackson uh, and um, loads of people have spoke about Morrissey who I'm a huge fan of, of, of his work but recently he's been saying some very, very bizarre things that I don't agree with and just that whole thing of can you separate the art from the person? Um, he's making it difficult. <laughs> Morrissey is making it very. Oh, he really is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I loved, I loved the Smiths. I'm not a really a massive fan of his solo career, anyway. Yeah. But, um, the so yes, he is. But 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 yeah, it's just bizarre. He he's like a like cartoon character, really. Mm. Um, I don't really even want to go there with someone like that. But um, the Michael Jackson thing. The weird thing is, is that there's you know there's a l- posthumous apologists uh, sort of like. <laughs> There's ne- there's never going to be uh, um, you know people. Pe- I mean, I've literally had arguments with people going, "Well, but he wasn't convinced of anything." You know, da 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 da. This this this. We don't believe this this whatever. You know, people what people believe what they want to believe, of and there's course. not much you can do about it. But I, the interesting thing is that I don't know whether his his music hasn't been taken off the airways, has it? In the same way that you know, Glitter's a convicted paedophile and is a really vile man, and that that you know. I totally understand that. I, t- I don't have an issue with that. But it, you, but all I'm saying about it is that. Um, sorry, I, don't, I mean I accept why his music wouldn't get played on the radio. I totally see why mm. you know that's fine. But I'm not going to pretend that I didn't ever like the music or still. Yeah, I, I, I still got it. I know the, I, this is true. Actually, I've forgotten about this because I have it. I still have the, the singles and things in my iTunes library. And a couple of years ago. I can't remember where we were exactly. Uh, I think we were at home, but I was just running a random, you know, the shuffle thing, <laughs> and we had friends around, and then one of the trans came up, <laughs> and it killed, it killed the, it killed the conversation so dead, and people looking at me, and I'm like, I'm crying out loud, and then by the end of it, everyone's like getting, you know, I'm singing along with these things. Come on, you know, it's, it, yes. Yeah, so, so to separate out, no, obviously. <sighs> It's a tricky one. His, his crimes really are legion, and he is an unrepentant. And he's he's inside, isn't he? He's in jail. He is, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's you know, it's it's really vile what he did. Really vile. He went, you know, whatever. You know, he was a sex tourist, wasn't he? He was just like, uh. Um, I think every artist I mean, should be but, judged on their own. Yeah, but 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 in terms of then saying that you can't ever listen to his music or that there's something that somehow you're tainted if you do I'd, I can't it's like for, it's like undergoing then I need to have a kind of um, moral re-education brainwashing take yeah. place on me because I, how can I I can't und, I can't pretend that my eight year old self didn't love that record yeah. It, it, yeah that's the thing I'm saying and so yeah no I do, yeah, it's a very interesting question there's not a there's not a specific definite yeah. answer to it Absolutely. either um well, Michael Jackson, I don't have such a problem with because, you know, I like the singles, but I'm not. I'm, oh, in fact, you've set me off now. I don't know. I don't know. What to say. I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, no, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I was just thrown out of this because I hadn't. Uh, again, we, my, me and my wife, we were doing some research. I can't remember what set us off thinking about this. I mean, we were looking at about. Hound Dog, actually, because we were, we were having a stupid joke about trying to sing it and remember how it went, and then started reading up about Elvis. Now, Elvis wooed Priscilla when she was like a 13, 14-year-old, and I started reading. The more you read up about this, you're like, hang on a minute, mm. wait, hang on, what, what, yeah. what? I mean, Christ Almighty. Yeah. 
there's some weird stuff in there. Yeah, there really is. Let's not open that kind of world. No, but I was just saying, then that takes down the, gr- you know, in theory, <laughs> the greatest rock and roll. Rock and roll it's just like, <laughs> yeah. what? Oh, no, oh, no. I mean, mate, mate, she was a child. Absolutely. But her parents let her go and go, yeah, it's very odd. Anyway. Well, let's let's talk about you being a child. So, um, at school. Yes. Um, I mean, firstly, did you enjoy You're school? You're breaking up on me. Oh, sorry. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Up to a certain point, I enjoyed I enjoyed my primary school a lot. Um, I was really good at sports, and I was good at most subjects, so I had a really easy time. It, you know, mm. it was all fun. And it wasn't until I got old and had to start doing subjects that I wasn't any good at, and realised that it wasn't that yeah. you couldn't just coast through life. You know, yeah. you have to really work at stuff. And and it's I, a was shame, isn't it? I was terrible. I was terrible because I had just about enough things that I could. I was really really interested in or good at that I could sort of get away with, yeah. you know, there was a couple of sciences I was rubbish at and stuff like that. And as soon as you had to start doing proper subjects, it all got yeah. a bit a bit difficult. But when it was yeah. all easy, you know, doing sums and stuff like that, it was, yeah. you know, it was just fun. I, I liked, yes, I liked it. And I played a lot of sport and I was in school teams for everything. And, you know, so I loved all of that. It was good fun. Um, what did you want to be? What? What did you want to be? When I was a kid? Yeah. I wanted to be the drummer in a pop group. Wonderful. I know. How good is that? You know, it's like the kid who says, I want to be an engine driver, and he's still driving trains, you know. It's like, yeah, it's like, that's what I wanted to be. Because I didn't play an instrument. I didn't realise that I could get away with eventually sort of teaching myself everything in order to be able to do it. And yeah. But I started out as the drummer and um, worked my way. I didn't, it wasn't like an ego thing. I literally, you know, it's a convoluted story how I ended up singing, mainly because the guy who was singing didn't want to be the singer. And that was sort of, okay, well, you, it was like, okay, we'll all have a go. And it yeah. Was, but yeah, no, I wanted to be, I know, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because it's like how I'm trying to bring my kids up and say, well, life isn't that straightforward, you know? Yeah. What do you want to be? Okay, yeah, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> was, you, was you a confident kid? Yeah. Show off? Um, Did you like a bit of attention? Not, no, funny enough, not as an individual, as part of a collective unit, yes. Mm. Um, uh, but I, I was given a lot of attention, so... it's That's a really brilliant question, but I think because I was given it, and like I said, because I had this this household of, of mother, father, three teenage siblings, I got a lot of adult or, you know, faux adult attention sure. in that environment and dialogue and yeah. conversation and things like that. So I was kind of being raised to be very sociable and outgoing and what have you. And I was, yeah, so I was confident and I think... I was given attention because I was effectively almost like being an only child to some degree in that environment. Yeah. So I don't think I had to try very hard to get attention. So that is slightly different from being a show off, I think. Um, But yeah, I mean, I loved it, you know, in the same way that I I liked it when my mum came to watch me play football kind of thing, but I didn't, I didn't want to have to be carried off the pitch on the shoulders of my teammates having scored all the goals. It wasn't quite that much. Yeah. I was, I, I wasn't, I was, I would, I'd make the pass rather than take the shot if it was for the benefit of the team. 
Good answer. That's what I like to think Good of myself. Answer, John. Yeah, yeah. Well, track four. What was the first song that you bought from a record shop? Well, um, I re- I remember actually my two. Well, there's two things. There's the, there's the the dreadfully uncool one, which is um, that's the one I want to know. Okay, yeah, certainly remember spending pocket money or I know where I went I went to WH Smith in Forest Hill with my mum and it must have been either after Christmas or something like that and and going up in the way that shops like that always had a little record department then Woolworth yeah. Smith's all of it you know, it's an extraordinary world really great world actually and, and Boots Boots the chemist did as well did they? yeah you I don't get records in, ah. in Boots yeah no I didn't know that mm. I didn't know that didn't know that um, I'm going to t- when we get to the other one I'm going to tell you where I bought my first record my, my where I used to go and um, oh no, this is the question, isn't it? Sorry, <laughs> there's two different lots of things. So the um, I bought a double A side of Jake the Peg and Timey Kangaroo Downsport by Rolf Harris. Picture sleeve on a on a funny little label, and yeah. had it for years and years and years, and. I discovered about I don't even know what what little path led me to doing this. Looking and looking and looking. Oh, someone put a picture of something at all. I don't know. What, I, know. I went and looked for the sleeve of this and realised that it's not Rolf Harris. It's it's um, it's like you know the way they used to do those top of the pops albums with people covering the yeah. songs like that. So it's not it's not Rolf Harris. It's someone. Pretending to be Rolf Harris. It sounds like right. Rolf Harris. And it's a double A side of Rolf Harris songs, but nowhere on the label, I've suddenly realised, nowhere on the sleeve or yeah. on the label does it say Rolf Harris. Oh, well, you're perfectly it, fine to have that in the collection Because now. it isn't bloody <laughs> Rolf Harris. And I was like, so the first record I bought, I discovered after after 40 years later, it's, it's a con, it's a lie. You've been at, mate. It's, it's, a, it's on music for pleasure or something is the label. It's genius. And so it was that. I was like, okay. But I remember... I remember um, what I do remember about the experience is I was there and I was trying to choose... I know that I was coerced by my mother into buying this because I remember going wanting something more... whatever is subversive in the mind of a five- or six-year-old because, as I said, I'm already listening to cooler music in the house. And she, I remember being shepherded towards this by her because I think she knew the songs and she wanted yeah. the songs... Because she wasn't into music. She was the one member of the family who wasn't into pop music. Yeah. And I, I just, I, re- I remember this sort of slight sense of deflation because I think I probably wanted something else at the time. But then sure. um, the first time I remember going by myself to buy a record, this is the week I was going to go to, it was about three years later, so I'd be about eight. And there was a barber shop in East Dulwich called Seegers, S-E-G-A-R-S, where it's where I had my first proper haircut as well, actually. And proper old barbers with Durex in the windows, that kind brilliant, of like man, brilliant. you know, and photos, brill cream photos. and all Black that, and white know. brill cream photos. Yeah. Real blokes, real male environment, really weird, you know. Yeah. And all the men, they all had those kind of weird, the, all the cutters all had... Um, like nylon jackets themselves, yeah. all in the same colour. It was all a bit weird. Um, anyway, they had at the back, they had an electrical shop, so you could buy radios and food mixers and stuff like that. And they also had re- a few records, just seven-inch singles. But they always had, like, the top 30, 40, but, yeah. but they only ever had, like, one of each. So yeah. I don't even understand what the rationale was. But there must have been, like, a salesman came around every week and said, right, give this here, what have you. And then I twigged. 
So I remember, I remember the first thing I bought was um, uh, Blockbuster by Sweet, which is very topical because Mr. Mr. Bridge just died. And um, Sweet, with the first that was the first time I'd ever seen that done that whole thing of seeing a band on top of the pops and thinking, oh my God, you know, this is so exciting and wanted to go and get this. And honestly, I John, so many people have, have come on this podcast and the impact that Sweet had had on them yeah. has been crazy. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. You know, they would, it was just, they were just, yeah, it was a sort of, yeah, a, 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 a redux version of the real light of what teens were into for glam, yeah. wasn't it? It's for smaller children, really. Yeah. It was like a, yeah, because uh, it's that famous thing about, so like a brickie with makeup or something, isn't it? It's <laughs> the, 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 and, um, but I remember going and getting it. I've still got it on a, on an RCA orange label and, um, but what I was going to say is the funny thing was I tweeted about this shop that, I don't know how much a single was at the time, you know, it was relative to my pocket money, it would still be a lot. Um, but that if you monitored the chart places, if they dropped in the chart, they reduced the price of the right. single. So you could go go and pick it up like a week or two later for half the money. Which You is got smart to that, right? Deal. Yeah, but I remember the, the genius bit, and I hadn't thought about this until I saw your question this, was about... You'd be hedging on the basis that no one had bought that record, so you'd be you'd be he's basically gambling on the possibility that it's still yeah. going to be there because they've they only got one copy. If someone buys it, it's gone. Yeah. And I remember going back every week to see if they got certain things, and honestly, fifty fifty chance that it isn't there, and the sense of like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> going through the thing, just is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Oh, no, someone's bought it, and it's just like wow. To the extent that it was, it, I'd, I'd forgotten that about that that whole sensation. It was like a probably about five minute bike ride so I'd cycle through the park go through these the things is it there is it there and then you, if it wasn't there you'd go through them again yeah. to make oh no and, and so there must be certain things that I really love that I never got I never got to have but but even then you know this is at the age of eight I was saving up my pocket money to buy records so yeah. you know yeah, that's pretty obsessional as well because you know I did buy comics as well but I mean yeah that you know, Wizard and Chips and the Sweet single. It's a kind of weird. It's a weird. It sounds thing. like a great combo. It sounds like a great. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is about that whole rationale about buying the singles. Is that because again, you know, you're starting from from point zero where you've got records that you own. You know, there's records in the house, obviously, that I was allowed to play that belong to other people. But the records that are my records. Yeah. You obsess about it. You not only learn the track inside out, you learn the B side inside out as well. Because that's you think, you know, I didn't understand that the B side was supposed to be like a diminished. So you know, there was something that quite often they'd toss off in you know, yeah. a couple of hours. So like, what yeah. do we stick on the B side kind of thing? But I used to imbue these things with the same amount of importance. Yeah. Because I didn't know any different. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Whilst sitting there devouring the sleeve whilst listening. Yes, like, yeah, always, yeah, yeah. Well, always. no, but the problem, yeah, but they didn't really, yeah, those kind of, back then, those, especially in those kind of shops like that, they didn't have pictures, they'd always be like the um, generic labels. Yeah. But they're, they're things of beauty as well, you know. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. There was paper uh, sleeves, yeah. The, 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 the paper sleeves, there was, there was always a shop around the corner to me, it was like a news agents, but they had a rack of, of um, singles that if again it was all about timing they're, 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 I think they're about 70p a single right. but they were the ex-jukebox so yeah. they'd come so from the jukeboxes well, so yeah. the, the, the yeah. middles are cut out and you had to sort of clip your little your little uh, middle in it 
But yeah. yeah, you could get it all in there, and it was uh, you know if you if you prepared to wait sort of three yeah. or four weeks, you yeah, could yeah. Uh, get yourself a cut price single. Jukebox singles also sometimes they used to um, do unique pressings where they'd put two two eight That's right. Yeah. So you could pick up a you know they they have a sort of rarity value, don't they? Because they if it's an artist, they no one's going to want the B side, the real B side. So they yeah. actually put something better. Or, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, more better known on the other side. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. <sighs> where do you start? You know, where do you start? I don't know. Um, I, I, that's, I've thought long and hard about trying to answer this, and I still don't. I, I was thought I was hoping that something would just come to me in the moment. As, as. So um, l- let me break it down a little bit, then, John. So, what was the sort of first sort of clubs you was going to? Well, bearing in mind that I came from a much more sort of indie alternative background, I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't into. Kind of, I didn't come from a sort of soul dance background. I mm. don't. When I was at Sixth Form College in 1983, I remember in the common room, you know, the common room there was full of like, we didn't literally tribal. So you got the soul boys and soul girls at one end, me and my black, like, Echo and the Bunny Men overcoat up the other end, sort of, you know, this thing. But it, but weirdly enough, was bit when I began to realise actually I quite liked some of this music as well. Yeah. You know, it's sort of the time of things like, I don't know, Imagination. Yeah. Were, they're, the, they're, they're probably the band for me that completely sold me on the idea that actually I did really like this I hated jazz funk I couldn't get jazz I didn't so level 42 were big Shack Attack were big all those kind of bands I didn't mm-hmm. like but Imagination just had that funk probably in retrospect because it's so electronic actually yeah. it's it's proto house really in many ways and, um, and if they were on top of the pops I mean visually that was something to behold as well yeah. wasn't it <laughs> yeah just brilliant I mean everything about it those records are very they're timelessly brilliant yeah. they sound amazing now mm-hmm. um and and so certain things that that do that I think of every era has records that sonically are stuck in that era, and some always seem to have that transcendent ability to still sound good at a later point in time. And that especially eighties, early eighties, mid eighties, when the technology was there was a lot of clunky technology, and a lot of people had the same sounds on massive drum sounds on all their records and things like that and there's something about the imagination records they're very minimal and they're really really cool um and yeah i mean they looked yeah they presumably they because they always they, they looked like um someone pointed this out to me that they look you know in like terrible tv sci-fi series like blake seven or Doctor yeah. Who, um, and the people they have those weird the cost they yeah. look like they were wearing stuff from the the water they look like they're pulled straight off the set of yeah. flash golden yeah, just <laughs> probably homemade, you know, yeah. literally, yeah, yeah, just just extraordinary. Yeah, and, uh, Lee John looked incredible yeah, every time yeah. he was on top of the box. Yeah, 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 fantastic. Um, so I started going to clubs about in 1981 when I was about 16, to proper clubs, first time, you know, clubs with built-in sound systems and, and things, but I was mainly going to gigs at that point, so I was still going following bands around and stuff like that, so I didn't really start going club clubbing, until about 1984, five, when I was 1920, and, and going to, um, there was a club called the Flim Flam in, in um, Newcross, in where they had um, 
Who's there? Rob Day, uh, Jonathan Moore from Cold Cut was was the DJ. That was the thing. This was before Cold Cut were big. Yeah. And then, that, and then I remember being there one night. This kid from Forest Hill who just won the world DMs. Who, the D, he was the UK DMC champion. Came in and did ten minutes of cutting and scratching. And that was CJ McIntosh. When yeah. He was when he was just like a fresh kid. You know, yeah. he was like a scratch DJ. It was amazing. And and this was so uh, that was me being exposed in a proper club environment to these to, to music. I didn't know what the music was half the time and just beginning to hear it and then couple of years later some of those DJs started playing house and clearing the dance floor with it as well that was the amazing thing and then we'd started going up because I was South London so we'd started going up to West End going up to to heaven quite a lot because that was, was that when Mark Moore was DJing um it would have been but I didn't he you know he was DJed at the he was at Busby's at the mud club and places like that heaven had was just like mainly just gay gay um, club nights, but I, but the system and the, the actual space was so brilliant that uh, I don't really know who would have been the DJs actually, mm. to be honest. Um, but just being in an environment that and the original fridge in Brixton as well was another club. Now the, the fridge when it started was um, was a much smaller space above above the shops um, near the tube station in Brixton, and, and they literally it was the inside the inside of the space was meant to look like you were inside a fridge. So it yeah. was all white with like bumpy walls that looked like ice and things like that. And that was a mad little club. Um, but, you know, clubbing wasn't such a big deal then. And it was, that was the thing that was, was really interesting because you'd go to different places and they all had, everywhere had its own sort of regular crowd. And sometimes you'd go in and people were really friendly. Sometimes you'd go there and you'd get really cold shouldered and you wouldn't go back, whatever. And little cliques, little scenes, whatever. And just... Um, and then obviously it's sort of late 87 early 88 it just all suddenly completely changed and that you know the whole house thing that just sort of knitted it all together in a way that that all that kind of all the dress code stuff all the like who you know kind of thing just it just went it vanished Mm -hmm. vanished and it was that was that was so brilliant because you know it, it meant that it just yeah it became all about the music rather than just about a kind of posy sort sure. of thing so for me i didn't you know that's when i really felt liberated by it i mean i liked going out and i liked dancing but i it was never a relaxed and and you know i don't know it was always like i don't know how to describe it really it was just all what did what did you want from clubbing uh, i wanted to hear and still do to hear music that i don't know put together by someone who who can actually like play with my head really you know yeah i want i want someone to make i want to be there and i can i've done it even even now even though i know obviously i know how to dj because i did for a long long time but in terms of the um I don't know, the last couple of times I've been out, both to see friends of mine play, one Luke Solomon and the other one Derek Carter, but literally standing in the DJ booth, watching them with the, the technology that they're using now, listening to the music, and I f- have a fairly good understanding of how things work, and still not being able to work out what the hell they're doing, because yeah. they're that good at what they're doing, yeah. that they're just twisting it and twisting it and messing with you. It's just like, wow, you know, yeah. just, that that's what I want from it. I want... I want to experience an excitement in the moment that is being created by the skill of the DJ. Yeah. The idea that just to go to hear the record you already know played louder is utterly alien to me. I don't understand the point of that. So yeah. I, I, it, it's 
but then you know for some people it's just still just something to something to do yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah you still ain't gave me a record no 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 because I don't know I, I can't I can't um, alright when so I'm going to go back into the first record that I remember hearing when I began to think right the music is changing and I don't know what this is and I don't know how they're making it but it makes me just want to literally lose my shit on the dance floor will be All in All by Joyce Sims. Oh, what a great choice, mate. Because it it's a game-changing record for me. It's, you know, Mantronic's production with a soul vocal on top. Is that Mantronic's like, production? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He produced all that, Coming to My Life and that, he yeah. produced it, Curtis Mantronic produced yeah. it, and that's why it's so good, because it's like someone coming from a hip-hop kind of freestyle yeah. background... That, and it's just that one album they made, and because everything she did after that is a bit insipid, and and but it's just like, oh my god, this is that stabbing synth that just comes screaming at you, and you're just yeah. like, what? The beats, everything. It's like electro meets freestyle meets yeah. whatever, like nothing else. And um, again, it's just. Yeah, just everything about it. Brilliant. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so you're getting a, yeah no, 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 no. Same, 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 <laughs> same. Because, it, yeah, it, it, I remember just thinking, this is, this is the future. This really yeah. is the future. It changed yeah. it all for me. When I first went to New York in 87, that was the kind of music I was really, really into. I didn't, because and I, I met the Latin Rascals, and it was like, oh, my God, you know, these guys who were doing the edits on these records. And they would, I went to the studio. Like someone, I can't remember how I got hooked up, but I'd, so I went to watch them at work. They were literally there with, you know, this is when you had to edit with tape and razor blades and cutting yeah. it and sticking it all together and just watching them work. And it was like a, an art form, an art form that is now lost because people just do it all digitally. But it's like just amazing. And yeah. just just these two guys who just knew, had this sort of instinctual understanding of how to do it. And they, so those records, they, from what I'm know about it is that so Mantronic would he was producing it he'd do the beats and the, whatever she'd do the vocal but then they'd give those the the, the mixes to the to these two guys Latin Rascals so Shep Nunes and someone else and um, and then they would kind of pull it literally pull it apart and stick it all back together and do these funny snap edits and little backwards things and everything like that and those little things were like the, the kind of pixie dust on top that gave it that sort of shock of the of the unknown because things happened because of these edits and because of the reverses things they made things happen sonically that you couldn't have done in the actual studio sure because there wasn't machinery that would make that bit go backwards and that bit jump to this and this 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 so it was like having an extra layer of creativity put on top of the of the record fantastic and yeah, no, still, it's still, to me, would be like, if I was in a room now, it's a call to arms to me, that record. If it comes yeah. on, I'm, I'm there. I'm absolutely there, yeah. Wonderful. Brilliant. Yeah, no, no. Track six. A yeah. favourite song from an artist from your home county. Well, I'm London, so I've got a lot to choose from. Okay. But uh, I'm going to go, he might be from yours, actually, but I'm going to go Mark Hollis. Oh, because we, we claim him in Essex, by the way. Exactly, yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> going to say. But he's an East London geezer, you know, he's an Essex boy. But again, with the more I learned about him after he died and the realization that 
he was self-taught as well. I, mean, I blew my mind because he ended up making music so complex and so incredible and unique music. And so his career trajectory, just, you know, from, from a band that... I, I, I'm not comparing myself in any shape or form, but I understand exactly what happened to them at the start, that when we got signed to a major, they were trying to mould us and manipulate us. And, they, you know, talk, talk, when they first started, I remember seeing them and just thinking, oh, God, that's another bunch of boys being made to look like a sort of faux Duran Duran kind of thing. With, you know, and and they fought their way through it. And within, like, two albums, three albums, down the line, they'd become something quite yeah. amazing, quite incredible. Um a unique way of singing as well, actually. Completely. You know, just 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 incredible. And records that really stand the test of time. So, um I guess it's very hard to pick to pick one. Main possibly because because I don't know. Have you ever seen the videos for some of this? Yeah, I've seen them all. The video you seen the Living in Another World one where they got the piano in the yeah where he's floating yeah that and we'll go for that as well because I just I just think that track is just so. I can't think who it was that, that, that guested on here. We was talking about Talk Talk videos. And we was talking about, um, I had like the best of, which was like called uh, the, the VHS called yeah, Natural I've, no, History. Yeah, I have that. Yes, I have that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. there's a scene on there where I think they're filming the video of Dum Dum Girl. Yeah. Uh, and they're clearly off their fucking heads. Where's Tim Hope doing all the vids, isn't it? You know, yes. They're all tripping. They're all yeah. tripping. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and they're talking to the camera. And, like, and as a really young lad, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought, oh, like, yeah. he seems pretty, pretty bonkers. And, yeah. like, and you watch it now and you think, he's off his fucking mind. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. But it was just, they must have just sat around and said, right, we're going to do this. Let's do this. Yeah, why? Let's do this. And then they did it. And it yeah. was like, okay, we do that. Why not? Because we can. And yeah, yeah uh, just, just, just genius. And I just, and the fact that he, you know, he did everything he wanted to do. And then he just walked away. And from what I gather, just raised his family and watched his kids grow up. And his yeah. wife's a teacher, and they lived in suburban Wimbledon. No one even really knew where he was or yeah. anything like that. I just hope he he had a very happy and fulfilling life in that period when he stopped making music. I'm sure he did. I'm going to show you something. It'll be two seconds. Right. I've got to grab okay. something and show you something right. on my wall. Okay. When when uh, he passed, I had an artist create oh. this uh, this piece, oh. this picture of Mark. Fantastic. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and it's pride of place uh, in the in the wall in the studio. Yeah. Is, uh, okay. Well, I've obviously hit. The, I've pressed the right buttons. Here, you really right? have. Yeah. Joyce Simpson, talk talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. Well, we're just speaking the same language. That's, that is why music. That's why music is so brilliant. Because, Absolutely. Yeah, um, Absolutely. And when you, if you, well, obviously, if you're a fan, you will have done. When you hear him. In audio of him being interviewed, and he's such a geezer. He's, he's such, such a geezer, isn't he? Yeah. You just you just think he's going to be like this sort of. I don't know. I want. I thought he'd be more rarefied than that, and he's yeah. not. He's just just a bloke. It's yeah. great. Yeah, just a bloke making unbelievable music. That's the thing. He does yeah. just sound like a, a, an absolute geezer, and, and most of the time he looked like a painter and decorator. Yeah. Yet yeah. he just created this. Magical yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that's that's what I want from my pop stars. Yeah. Last track, mm-hmm. John. A, a song you can play DJ again. Um, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. That's an interesting one. I mean, that could you know again on any day of the week 
365 days here, this is going to be a different answer, but it's weird. I was just listening to stuff over the weekend. I had to, um, I, we've got this, I'm not saying, I'm not doing this as a sell thing, but I'm just going to tell you why I chose this is that I've had to be, we've got these remasters things coming out of ours and I had to just, um, provide lyric, proper accurate lyrics because, um, digital platforms want to have the lyrics to go alongside the songs now that's how it works and, and actually when you go and realize that your stuff you look online and it's all wrong it's when someone sat there and some, someone's done it so it's great so it's just like to sit there and listen to my own music and then real the realization of um why one particular song sounds the way it does and i'd forgotten entirely forgotten about this track that was a kind of um, I can choose it in sincerity because it does. I didn't rip it off, but, but I can see where it fed into the way my song sounds. So it's quite obscure. I, I've got it in my library. I don't know. I haven't looked to see whether it's online. So it's by a band called Voice of America. So you yeah, see no recognition there straight away. No, right? no. Right. Um, so if you need audio of it, I'll probably, I might have to send you the MP3 or something. Okay. Like I don't know. Um, track called Story of Love. And it's like a, there's an, ex- but it's the extended mix. So it's, it's a track that, that when I play, it's, it's, it starts off like it could be the best Balearic track ever, but then it goes a little bit clunky, but it's, I think you'll love it, if, given that you like the other two things. It, it's got yeah. that that sort of certain thing, but it's, it's it fits this category very well because it's obscure. Yeah, and and I remember I've got the twelve inch of it at home, and I, it's a brilliant record. Um, I don't know if they ever made any other records or anything. I don't sure. know whether it's like one of. Sometimes people have that sort of capacity to make one brilliant piece of music, and then that's that's all they're ever going to do. Yeah. you know. Um, so, story of love, extended mix by Voice of America, and I guess. It must be from about 86 or 87. I haven't even checked that out yet. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's certainly, since you don't know it, then that means it probably is pretty unknown. Well, there's, um, I always put a Spotify playlist together to accompany the podcast, so um, I'll it. may I'll not be on it. Hang on, do you want me, to, let me just quickly look if it's on Spotify. I don't even know if it is. Is that going to be a problem if it is? No, not at all, not at all. So you've been sitting there... Um, Oh, yes, it's here. And oh, it's got, perfect. It's got, yeah, but get this. It's got less than a 1,000 plays on Spotify. That's obscure. Right. Well, it'll have a few more soon. Yeah. So, perfect. I, I will... Um, there we go. I know my way around technology. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Hang on. And so, you've been writing down your lyrics, so... Wait, wait, wait. I'm just doing this now while I remember. So, I've... There we go. I've sent you an email link to it. Now. Wonderful. Thank you, mate. Um, yes. So I'm just curious. You said you've been sort of going back. And I mean, let, let's talk about the reissues and what's happening first. Yes. Oh, sorry. No, I mean, yeah. That's your job, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> no, I know. But I, I'm not. I, I mean, much as I like the, the things that I've done, I'm, I'm not a great salesperson for it. But um, the... Uh, Happiness, which was the first proper album that we we released, um, has been crying out for a remaster actually because it was it was 1990 it was still in that transition period from you know when music was, formats were changing it was, it was on half vinyl half CD and it's all been it was all a bit I, I'm not entirely certain whether it was only ever like mastered for vinyl and then not you know the CD 
it's that that era when things didn't sound that great. It sounds sure. you put it on, it sounds a bit quiet and whatever. So we got all the analog tapes and, and remastered it, which is which is really good. Um, that's been reissued on vinyl. Um, we're on, so we're often made. We got away from Warner's a few years ago. We're on a, a small label now who who has art. They bought us and Zero Seven and um, Dirty Vegas and stuff all from Warner's, which is great because now we're with a, a company people our age who who are really into the music and just yeah you know it's fun it's actually fun again to do so and i've been you know still mates with steve from that point in, in the beloved so we've been curating this together um then there's a second disc with all demos and um unreleased songs and things on it as well coming so that's quite a, been quite a nice thing to do um but i've had to be um organizing all the logistics of all the artwork and everything like from lockdown so that's been quite weird as well because stuff that just things that you could just two meetings with for a couple of afternoons in a room with people would have got it all sorted out it takes sure. forever it takes forever yeah but but it, what's been amazing is that we managed to i managed to re- resume contact with this guy bob linney who used to do all these amazing graphics for all our, our artwork and made touch with him so we got some new stuff from him which is really nice oh um, wonderful so it looks lovely and literally I'm, I'm just in the middle of writing sleeve notes which have to be in by tomorrow which to sort of try to frame everything but um so there's a two cd believe it or not a cd which is you know dying but it's the only way you can put all the music together because putting it all on vinyl would just be stupidly expensive um, so there's a, a proper vinyl um a two cd thing then but i mean you can you, know, you can listen to it all for free on spotify anyway so it will all be going up at the very end of July, I think it's coming. And for listeners so, to yeah. be able to find out all about um, that and what you're doing, where's the best place for that, John? Okay, there are, well, there is a website which is beginning to sort of animate at the moment, but I mean, because we haven't been putting stuff out, it's like it's laying quite dormant, but it will mm-hmm. be beginning to animate. So there's um, the beloved. Dot, I should know it off by heart, shouldn't I? <laughs> no, 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 because it, it used to be dot com and it reroutes now. I think it's the beloved dot UK is, is a suffix now, I think. Hang on. I ought to know this thing. Um, but what we do have that is really, really good is if you're on Facebook, there's a, there's a group which is like a community. That's the thing that's the most active, which I participate in. Uh, it's quite a small thing, but it's a very, very nice environment where, um, you know, there's a sort of uber fans meet to discuss things but i chip in i often offer like free downloads of rarities and obscure stuff for people and things like that so it's kind of you know it's quite a nice organic um potted history and it's sort of it's where i tend to flag most things there's you know there's an instagram and all these kind of there's all the usual things if you go looking for it on the internet there's all things but but um it it grows at its own pace it's not you know, I think you get to a certain point, especially when you're when you're just focusing on older material. That you know, you can't start trying to like flag wave and, and bomb people with it in the way that you know contemporary artists would with their brand new single because it isn't. Sure. It's not that thing. You know, um, so the Facebook group. So is that under the name the Beloved? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. and that's really good fun actually. I mean, you know, that there's it's a it's a kind of. 
Yeah. It's weird. There's some very obsessive people. <laughs> there, Wonderful. my God. You know, they've all come crawling out of the woodwork. And, it, and it's quite nice. You know, I mean, if I, it's weird. It's a reverse thing. I mean, it, I suppose it's a slight ego message for me. But at the same time, if I was that much of a fan of a band and I had access to the band to be able to to literally engage in dialogue with them and discuss what they're doing and stuff like that, yeah. even if it is 30 years down the line or whatever like yeah. that, I think it's quite, it's quite a nice, you know, it's quite a nice thing to be able to do. Why do you think um, we started a podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah. I wanted to chat to yes. all the people whose yeah. music I love. Yes, fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. But then we come back exactly to the concept of being a fan, yeah. you know, which is what I was talking about earlier, the idea that, um, you know, I can understand, you know, it, although I have to sort of disassociate slightly to understand that people can, that I am the object of fandom from people. It's a very small thing and it's, it's quite fun, you know? Yeah. Um, Apart from anything else, you know, if you've made music and people, uh, it, it, you'd be an idiot to say that the idea that people then saying I really like the music that you've made isn't fantastically rewarding. You know, of course it is. It, it, it's it's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And you know, if you're not currently putting much out, it's even better if you can find some people to come and say yes, I like it. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. John, thank you so much for giving up your no, time today. It's been a real really joy fun, chatting. Yeah. Lovely. Okay, I'll let you get back to writing your sleeve yes. notes in, and, um, uh, in sunny. Tell Cornwall. me what you think of that Voice of America chat, though. Come I will do that now. Let me know how how you get on with that and see what you think. All Thanks right. again, nice John. Okay, cheers, cheers mate. Mr. All right, bye bye. Well, there you go. Wow. Never thought I would be talking about Joyce Sims and Talk Talk in the same conversation. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely brilliant guest. Um, thanks so much to John for giving up his time. Um, thanks to you lot for listening. Um, that's much appreciated, always. The best thing you can do if you enjoyed this is to go and have a rummage. I mentioned it at the beginning. Go and have a rummage in the archives um, and see if there's anything else you like. If uh, I mean, the best thing to do is just subscribe. Then each week, you don't even have to think about it. You just get a little episode pop up. Uh, on your listening device so um and it really helps um the podcast and if you really want to help the podcast as well and support it then as i said at the beginning as well there is a uh patreon page um patreon.com off the beaten track podcast uh and you can find out about everything at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com stay safe i'll see you next week mind there you go bye-bye oh yeah sorry i've butted in yet again i just want to quickly tell you about this magazine it's called pod bible now pod bible is the new essential guide to podcasts it's put together alongside spotify and acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about i mean in the first edition there's interviews with adam buxton interviews with craig parkinson um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and 
have a look and support us on the social medias as well. PodBibleMag.com It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whiffin. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 